You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. All right, so let me share with you today what God's put on my heart. This is the series Simply Christmas. We're going to take every Sunday, and we're going to talk about some things about the Bible, but also in relationship and how that God really intended for Christmas not to be the way that the American culture has created it. And so I personally, I'm not trying to pick or anything like that, but I personally... Um, you know, I'm not trying to be difficult, but to me, it is Christmas. It is not a holiday. And my wife always tells me, Jody, holiday means holy day. I leave it alone. I understand. She's absolutely right. It is a holy day. It is. But it's still Christmas. No one says happy holiday at Thanksgiving. They say happy Thanksgiving. So Merry Christmas is something you're going to hear me say a lot. But the further American culture gets away from Christmas, it's all just become a part about getting a prize, a toy, a gift. How many Christmas parties you can you have and be a part of? How many Christmas cards did you get? Have you sent out your own Christmas cards to everybody? Did you leave anybody off your list? It is ridiculous the amount of stress that is on our society at Christmas. It's supposed to be freeing. It's supposed to be a liberating time of the year that we rejoice and are thankful and we honor and can adore Jesus not get stressed out about Christmas cards. And if you send out Christmas cards, that's great. Do it. Fantastic. But don't freak out if you forgot somebody. Like, you know, it, that's not what it's about. It's about you and your family being able to enjoy this time of year. Of all the times of the year, this should be the month where you get to enjoy the most. Not be so stressed out. It shouldn't be at the end of the year that you're so stressed at the end of the year more than you ever were the first 11 months of the year. You should be ah, being able to breathe, you know. So I'm going to tell you something that happened to me this week, and I'm going to ask you to turn to the Bible, Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1. Very easy to find. Um, if you haven't you know, looked in the Bible a while, you don't look on your phone, whatever, but just simply this, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. He's the third guy in the Gospels that wrote. I'm going to give you some background on Luke, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Luke, but I'm going to share with you what happened uh, with my middle kid this week, and... Um, kind of put some stuff into perspective for me about, you know, my viewpoint on things. So Julia Kate, um, my middle child, uh, she, you know, we're not living in our house right now. We're living in a friend's house and kind of, so we're a little kind of, you know, we ever move, you know how you move and you got stuff packed up. You get kind of like, where is stuff? I was telling somebody this week, you don't realize how much junk you got until you move and leave it all behind and realize you don't even need it. You don't know what, you, I mean, you really realize like, what, where, I go back to the house and think, well, wow, there's that thing, you know. I hadn't used it in three weeks, you know. You can't realize, you know, minimalis, you know minimalistic uh, clothing. You don't realize how many pairs of socks you really don't need until you just use what you got, you know. It's kind of a weird thing. but So we're moving around kind of things, and so she's, you know, they're in and out trying to figure out where to kind of hang out and not hang out. And so I had my an office, little office set up. I had my stuff set down there. I work from home a lot. And um, so she had drawn a picture for me and just left it on my on my desk there for me, right? And so I brought, I brought it because I wanted you to see this picture, this first picture here. So you guys will put that up for me. So this is her. There's a pineapple, a banana. Do the next one there, the next picture there on the back of the page. You got another there. It's this, you got apple and orange. I think the pineapple looked very detailed. I think as she went along, she got tired of drawing fruit and just said, you know, the apple and the orange look very similar, so I don't know. But anyway, she's drawing, and I want you to go back to the first slide. Y'all know if you caught this, but at the top of the page, there's a word at the top. 
And I looked at that and I thought, what, what is that? So look at the third. I'm going to show you this third slide. I circled it for you so you can actually see it a little bit better. And I, and I don't want you to sit there like a bunch of Christians do and act like, well, I have no idea what that is. Whatever. Look, all these people, this is the, this was your worship team that laughed first. You understand? Just so you know, right there, you can laugh too, but it's the word Corona. Now, <laughs> y'all just couldn't see it from the back, right? It was kind of small. Yeah, I know it. Now, I, I, at first I thought, oh, now hold on a minute. What is that? And just full disclosure here. I don't drink Coronas. I don't drink period. It's not, not whatever against whatever, but well, I am against, you know, getting drunk and all, but I'm just saying, you know, yeah, I'm not getting into the wine thing and all that right now. I'm just saying, I just don't personally, for my family, I don't drink. It's just me. I don't bring it in our house. We don't have any of the stuff in our house. That's for my, because my family, we just don't do that. Okay. And it's not because of a Bible thing. It's because of a, you know, family thing. So when I saw that, you got to understand for me, I'm going, wait a minute. They know Coronas in our house. Unless <laughs> I look, I thought about asking Haley, like, you know, anything going on? I mean, it hasn't been stressful lately. I just thought maybe there's something in the cabinet I don't know about, you know? <clears throat> so I called her in. I said, baby girl, I said, what, what, is, uh, what is Corona? And then she says, I don't know, daddy. It was on your computer. I said, what? What is on my computer? I'm thinking, there's no Coronas. What are you talking about? She said, you know, on your computer, like, because I lock my screen on it so they don't who knows what will happen. So, but I have, what I have on my screensaver is a word of the day thing. It pops up because I like to learn stuff, but I don't like reading dictionaries. So it shows me a new word every day. Well, the word of the day was Corona. And I thought, I mean, I'm seeing pineapples and bananas. So my thought is, my gosh, they're putting, like, I thought, well, what did the Corona say? And she said, I don't know. I, didn't, I just saw the word. And I thought, what? I thought, here's my mind was thinking, it must have said something like a, a great drink on the beach works well with pineapples and oranges. And I thought, my gosh, what have I done to my kid, you know? This is what she tells me. Well, let me tell you what the definition of corona was on my computer first. It said the outer atmosphere of a star. What? Now, my first thought was just like yours, and don't you look at me like you didn't think it either. My first thought was corona was a lime on a beach somewhere. That's what I thought. That's my thought. It's a, it, the definition was an outer atmosphere of a star. I even looked it up further. It has nothing to do with the, the drink, whatever. And so I asked her, I had to go, but baby, like, because I'm confused now. Like, how did you get, you know, wouldn't you be confused? Like, how did you get pineapples and bananas from this? And she goes, well, Dad, this is what she told me. I had to write this in because it's hilarious. She said, Dad, she said, I saw the word Corona, and Corona reminded me of Hawaii. Hawaii reminded me of pineapples. Pineapples reminded me of bananas. Bananas reminded me of apples. And an apple reminded me of an orange. Okay. I can roll with that. For me, my mind was thinking something completely different. And she told me early in the week, she said, I know I have a weird imagination, Dad. I know it. I know I have a weird imagination. And I told her, babe, there's nothing wrong with your imagination. Imagination is good if you use it for good things. Go ahead and keep, you know, keep doing what you're doing. But it, it threw, because I thought one thing, she thought something completely different. And isn't it funny? It made me remember this verse of Scripture. You keep your place at Luke 1. I'll put this on the screen. It made me remember the Scripture in Isaiah, where God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He goes on to say this. He says, my ways are far beyond anything you'd imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher 
And then he says, <laughs> he says this, they're higher, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God doesn't think like you and I think. I'm thinking Corona is why she drew the pineapple and banana. For her, Corona meant nothing, but it sounded like Hawaii. She thought completely different than I thought. But I had to get an understanding from her so I could understand what she meant. This is what I want you to hear from Luke. As we're talking today about people in your neighborhood and people around us. Luke says this to a guy named Theophilus. We'll call him Theo. Sounds a little more common. But Luke chapter 1 and verse 1, this is what Luke says. And you need to understand about something about Luke. Luke is not a disciple of Jesus. He was not there with the 12. He didn't get on the boat. He wasn't in the storms, didn't see the miracles. He got his information from eyewitness accounts. Luke was also a physician. You need to understand that too about somebody because it would have been different if an artist had wrote the gospel. A physician wrote this gospel. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Luke is writing based on eyewitness accounts in his gospel, the gospel of Luke. He's a physician. Now, you can make a couple of mistakes in some things as a physician. You forgot to be there when they called you, you know, for the doctor's appointment, or you forgot to sign a prescription. Or you can make some uboos there. But, you know, you can't just go and say, oh, man, you know, you know what do what, you need? Oh, I, I just, let's just throw about five medicines and see what sticks. They, you can't do that. As a physician, you can't make, you're only allowed so many mistakes and you're out. And you just can't be a physician by going online. At some point, nothing wrong with going online for, for an education, but at some point as a physician, I know this about physicians, you eventually have to get in some form of residency. You just can't go online, get a degree and say, hey, come see me, I'm going to practice some medicine on you. Luke is a very smart guy. For people who say things like these guys in the Bible are fools, Luke is no fool. He's a very wise individual, and he wrote detailed accounts from eyewitnesses. He did not just take it based upon belief. He made sure that what he was going to put his life on the line for, it was true. That's the kind of guy who wrote this. So now he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, and he says this. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have fulfilled, been fulfilled among us. They used an eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples, or they used eyewitness reports, rather, plural. Verse 3, having carefully investigated, as a physician would, everything from the beginning, I, Luke, also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. Why? So that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So that you don't come up with your own thoughts about something, you actually have the thoughts of God about something. This was about 70 A.D. when he wrote this. Jesus was crucified about 33 A.D. If that puts anything in perspective for you, he was not there with Jesus. This man put his degree, he put his practice of medicine, his family, everything on the line. Do you understand based upon eyewitness accounts. Now, people say things all the time like, well, if I just saw if God would just... If God. Listen, here's a guy who had a very good career and gave it all up based on eyewitness accounts. You don't have to see something to believe in God. God has more validity in his truth of his word than what we give him credit for sometimes. And so Luke did this, though. He did it for the people around him. He did it for the Gentiles as well so that they could believe. 
And he gave this for this purpose. This is why he wrote his gospel. In, in Luke 19, verse 10, I'll put it on the screen for you. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the primary reason for Luke writing his gospel. He wanted people to understand this is why Jesus came. And so today, what I want you to hear from his stories and from the thing about Luke and about Jesus is this. Is that no matter what you think, when I ask you to pray about reaching up somebody else for Christ, when I ask you to pray about finding someone that you can give one of these things to and ask, Lord, who would you have me reach today? Who would you have me reach out to with your gospel? The reason I'm asking you to do this, you may be thinking right now, well, I don't have that, man, I just don't have that ability. I'm not a preacher. Man, I don't come from that lineage. I've never been to Bible school. I don't even know a bunch of, I don't even know the Bible verses. I can't even quote John 3.16. I'm not equipped to be a great, you know, evangelistic or influence for Christ. I want to show you some things today about Jesus that might sound a little disrespectful. It may sound a little, how should I say it, sacrilegious when I say this, but I'm not being that way at all. I'm being very accurate when I say what I'm saying, just like Luke was being. But Jesus did not come from this strong pedigree that people think. He didn't have a background like people understood. Matter of fact, the Bible says that when the people looked upon him, that when they would look upon him, they would see nothing about him that was special. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about him today. Think about, first of all, from where he's from, his hometown. It's called Nazareth. Nazareth. It's a little place up in the far, uh, if you will, in the the far hills of of Israel where nothing really goes on there a lot. Today, there's about 60,000 people that live there. 60,000. That's more than live in the city of Rome. We have about 38,000, I think 39,000, something like that. More people live in Nazareth than in the city of Rome. So 60,000 people live there today. But it's a very small, very common town. And the only source of water was at the foot of the hills. And this is what kept the town small because they didn't have running water like you have. They'd all have to go to the, to the well to get, to get water. At the time of Christ, think about this, 1,600, maybe 2,000 people lived in that town during the time of Christ. The Savior of the world, God, had him born in one of the smallest towns in the world. I mean, outside of Plainville, Georgia, I'm no, no disrespect if you're from Plainville, but my, my grandfather used to have a store there, so no disrespect. I'm just saying, but Plainville has on their sign, I think it's 200 and something people live in Plainville, Georgia. That's the smallest town I've ever heard of. This is pretty small. It would be like God saying, I'm going to put Jesus in Plainville. And him coming to you in Rome, Georgia, saying, where are you from? I'm Jesus of Plainville. And you'd have been like, what? And you're going to be the savior of the world? That's the equivalent of Nazareth. It was not anything that people said, oh, well, that's like Buckhead. Woo. No, it's, it's Plainville. Or it's Rome. Let's put it in our perspective. It's Rome. Okay? So at the time of Christ, about 1,600 people lived there. And the reputation of Nazareth, it wasn't very good at all. It just wasn't a very good town in a sense. So I'm going to read you a scripture. This is from John 1. And listen to the, what they describe Nazareth as. John 1, It says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, which was a nicer town. He's on the like, Sea of Galilee, a little bit nicer town. He's of the city of Andrew and Peter. These are disciples of Jesus. And Philip found Nathanael. Nathanael is from the city of Cana in Galilee, where Jesus turned the water into wine. Look, it's, a, it's a nice town. It's, it's not Nazareth. It's nicer than Nazareth. And it says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, watch this, of, he didn't say Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Man, what if people talked about your town like that? And you said, I, I'm Jody of Rome. Oh, man, you're from Rome? Can anything good come out of Rome? Basically, what they're saying is, you ain't no good either. Because what they're saying is, can anything good come out of Rome? Yeah, I don't think so. Total discredit to Jesus at this moment. Daniel goes on. He says this. He says to Philip, or Philip says to him, come and see, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? So Jesus said from Nazareth, said, um, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Oh, now that changed everything. Now Nate's like, uh-oh. You know, he says, wait a minute. Rabbi, you are the son of God. All of a sudden, he was from Nazareth. Now he's the son of God, you know, because he had a little word of knowledge for him. He said, you're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him and said, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. Let me tell you something about a town. Towns will try their best to make you like they are. They want you to be like they are. That's why the Bible teaches us to come out from among them, whatever town you're from, pick your little community. It doesn't matter when I say wrong, pick it all. Lindell, Armerchi, Model District, Shannon, whatever, Kingston, if I leave, my, leave anybody out, Coosa, anywhere you're from, any part of this thing you're from, Floyd County, pick your little community and say, that community wants you to be like them. That's why the Bible tells you to come out from among them and be separate. You're not supposed to be like the community that you live in. You can put a sticker on your car, it's fine, doesn't matter about that. But you're not supposed to be like the city or the community that you live in. You're not supposed to let the city or the community be so much of an influence on you that you actually become like them. We're supposed to be the ones that have more influence on them, that they want to be like us. But if the city's in us so much that we look like the city, the city doesn't know the difference, and therefore, why should they be any different? So... His hometown was associated with his name many times. Listen to this, Acts 10, 38. It says, you know Jesus of Nazareth. They kept using the word Nazareth every time. And how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil for God was with him. In Acts 6, 13, they said it this way. When they were talking about trying to you know, accuse some of the disciples for preaching, they said they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. It wasn't a very good conversation they were having about Jesus when they said, of Nazareth. It was a put down. Let me say about your town. Your town will try to shape you. It really will. But you're supposed to shape your town. You really are. I'm supposed to shape my town. I'm not supposed to let my town shape me. But too many times, that's what happens, is it not? Let's be honest, right? Let's be honest. You can get so caught up in what goes on that you become like your town. But there weren't very great places in Nazareth, but they attached this to him no matter what. Jesus of Nazareth, everywhere he went, it was, oh, you're Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, we heard about you. There's nothing good over there. Even a disciple says there's nothing good over there. And if you're not careful, that same statement can get in you. There's nothing good that comes out of Rome. If you're not careful, you pick up that same mentality and think, so there's nothing good that comes out of wrong. You can't allow that to get on you. You can't. 
Got to be different. But Jesus not only had that against him, he had his parents against him. And I don't mean this from a to put them down. I'm saying this is what people said about them. You know, his parents, let me give you a little bit of background on his parents, on his dad, Joseph, his stepdad, if you will. But Joseph was a carpenter. And in those days, when I say the word carpenter, you probably think building with wood. And that is partly what a carpenter was. But in their culture, it's something a little different. In their culture, a carpenter was more of a builder. He wasn't a tax collector, you know. Like maybe in their family, I don't know the difference, but in their family, as a builder, maybe he only had a one-humped camel. You know, that's what he had, and he parked it into his little stable or whatever. But if he was a tax collector, man, if you read about the tax collectors, man, they live in large. They had two-humped camels, you know. So you could like put a couple of people on the back, kind of park that thing. Like you, know, you had two stalls in your barn. I mean, it was just different, a little more prestigious. He wasn't a tax collector. Jesus had him, I mean, God had Jesus born in Nazareth and also born into the home of a carpenter. And that's not to put down carpenters. It's not that at all. But it wasn't the priesthood. Why would he call the Son of God to redeem the world out of a carpenter's home? It doesn't make any sense if you think about it. Wouldn't he have put him in the priesthood where at least he would have learned about the methods and the things of God? Instead, he put him into a carpenter's home. But the word carpenter here is a little different. It's more than the word. It's more than just the word carpenter as we think. It's a word called tecton, and it's a it's a Greek word. It means builder. It means someone who constructs by combining materials and parts to make a coherent whole, especially used of buildings. In other words, he's a contractor. So he just didn't mean a, he didn't just build a mean set of table and chairs. He actually could build homes. If you really look at the root of the word and what it was, Jesus probably more than anything probably laid block. He probably worked with his hands. He probably built homes and structures. It's more than just building a chair and going like, hey, how you like that one? Does that sit good? No, he had a much more understanding of things than what we think about sometimes. And if you read on, it actually means this as well. As a builder, he would also have been a designer. Someone perhaps referring to one who has more involvement in the design process as well. I mean, not only could he build it, he could paint it too, man. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like HGTV, like Jesus TV. I can... A little green, a little blue, a little that over there, a little shiplap, whatever. I mean, before they come out with shiplap, Jesus probably used it, you know? He made it look good. He could do all that stuff, and he was in a house of a builder. Now, why is that important? Because you talk to any builder, they'll tell you this. The most important thing you build a new structure is a foundation. It's not the thing that everybody else sees. It's what no one else sees that you have to appreciate. It's the foundation. If you don't get the foundation right, nothing else works right. God put him in the home of somebody that taught him day after day after day. The foundation has to be right, Jesus, or nothing else is right. That's the kind of home God put him in. But the thing about his parents, they're kind of average people. Joseph and Mary weren't, they weren't in the priesthood. They weren't people to be, you know, looked at and said, oh, wow, they're from that house. But they were people of faith. Read a couple of scriptures. This is from the Christmas story, if you will, from Luke. This is when the angel appeared to Mary. But Luke 1, 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Man, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. This, the Bible plays this out so cool and calm, like Mary just had it all together. I would have freaked out, ran out the door. You, would you? What would you have done? You look at me like, oh, I ought to talk to the angel. Not you, crazy. 
all of a sudden you're just having like, I don't know, brushing your hair out or something. Greetings, Mary. Give it a freaks you out. You have thrown your hairbrush, ran out the door. Ah, she's so cool and calm. It's amazing to me. But she was perplexed, the Bible said, just perplexed, that's all. Just perplexed about the statement. And she kept thinking about what salutation this was. So the angel said and reassured her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Interesting, the angel said, this is where you're from is Nazareth. I know who you are, Mary. I want you to name this boy Jesus. And I'll explain in a moment. But he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Then the angel also told Joseph about Jesus. Different angel, different time. But Matthew's gospel tells this in Matthew 1 verse 18. It says the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This is an interesting kind of story, you know. <clears throat> and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her. Now, you could see why God chose Mary. He could have picked any virgin in the town he wanted to. It's important to understand the relationship between two matters. Because anybody else might have said, I ain't hanging out with her. I'm not going to stay with her. Joseph was considering the same thing. But Joseph, the Bible says, did not want to publicly disgrace her. He planned to send her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. For she will bear a son. And watch this, what did it say? You shall call his name Jesus. Joseph, I know where you're from. I know where you live. I know what this looks like to everybody else in your town and community. It's a small town. Come on, it's a small town. Y'all know people talking to small town. Oh, come on. Y'all know people talking to small town. Don't you wish there were some things you did years ago you wished people. If you was in a big town, probably nobody would remember it because you're in a small town. I can't tell you how many times people tell you, you remember when. Listen, bro, I try not to remember all that. Yeah, I do remember, but I try to let it go like Elsa, you know, just let it Go. I don't want to go back and remember all the goofy stuff I did. I don't want my kids to know about the crazy stuff I've done. But, you know, sometimes people just got to remember this on the past. Do you ever remember? You remember when we did that? You remember when we didn't? Yeah, but, you know, I don't want to remember some of that stuff, right? But you're in a small town, and in a small town, everybody knows what you've done. So, Joseph, I know you're from a small town. I know the town you live in, but I want you to call him Jesus. And he's going to save his people from their sins. Verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord said, and he took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Here's the thing I want you to see about this. These are two good people here. Joseph and Mary both are great people. But here's something you need to understand about parents. And Jesus' parents as well as your parents. Your parents can influence you all day long, but they cannot position you where you're supposed to be. They can give you every, every thing in life to help you get started. They can give you every advantage in life to get started. But at some point, 
You can't look back at what your mama or your daddy did or didn't do. At some point, you have to position yourself as your own man, as your own woman of God and say, God, it's now I'm going to follow you in what you're asking me to do. God can position you, but your mama and your daddy can only do so much. And if you look back every Christmas at what you didn't get as a kid, or maybe what you did get as a kid, and you're still hanging on to that, there is no way God can put you where he wants you to be because you're still dwelling on what happened at one Christmas year when you didn't get the thing you wanted, a train set, and your daddy didn't give it to you or he wasn't there. I hate that for you. I do. I'm so sorry that you didn't have the Christmas that you wanted. But I'm telling you, today is a different day. And you can set your own self up with God in a direction that he wants you to go without hanging on to stuff from the past. But the parent can only do so much before we have to take our own responsibility and own authority and stand where God's called us to stand. But these guys, man, they were something. They, they, were, they were great parents, but the town was small and the conversations weren't good. You know, Jesus, who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Joseph's son. Oh, that family. Yeah, we heard about them. Oh, yeah. They're the one that said, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Mary, you know, some story like she was a virgin. She's going to have a baby. Yeah, right, whatever. And Joseph took her anyway. Basically, they called Mary a floozy. They called Joseph an idiot. They looked down upon the whole family. And they were from Nazareth on top of that. This is what Jesus was born into. And on top of this, you and I reverence his name today. We worship the name of Jesus. We thank God for his name. His name is above every other name. It's the name where every name, every tongue, every tribe, everyone will bow their knee to the name of Jesus one day. It may not be today in this, in this you know, culture, in this life, but one day, everybody's going to bow to Jesus. We know that. And their culture was not that way. His name, last thing I want to show you this, was very common. I'm on, I'm on, you're going to, it's going to come together here in just a moment. Just hear me out. His name was very common. When I say common, let me say it this way. His name was very popular. His name made the most, the names of the babies, when you look for, you know, a name when you have your first kid, this is what you do. You buy a book and say, what should we name our kid? After the second one, you get over it and you just start picking stuff. But the first one, you go, we've got to have that name. You know, just that name, that one we're looking for. And you get baby book names. Thousand baby, you know, most popular names this year. Now you Google it, but, you know, whatever. But, in Jesus' day, his name Jesus was common. And what I mean common, not to put it down, I'm saying popular as in the name John or James or, or, or Jim. It was very just common, everyday, popular name. It would have been the equivalent of today, there's probably 20 Johns in the room, I don't know. But John is very common today. It would have been like this, him coming to town, you first met him, and somebody says, hey, this is John from Plainville. And I'm not putting down Plainville, you understand, because I, I like the area. I think it's cool out there. I like the land. It's beautiful. I'm not putting down, I like small towns. I don't like the crazy crowd in this stuff. But John from Plainville, what would you think? He's going to what? He's going to be the savior of the world? What? You would not have paid attention to him at all. His name, though, Jesus, listen to this. His name, Jesus, means Joshua which means the Lord saves. I'll put it on the screen for you. 
The Lord saves. It means Jehovah saves or Jehovah delivers. That's what his name, see, his name meant something different than what our names mean today. We all name our kids stuff, and most of the time we don't think about what it means. Some of you do, but in their day, they named you based upon what they wanted to see happen or what they felt like should happen. They give you a meaning for your name. In our culture, in English, his name is Joshua. In Hebrew, it is Yeshua. Yeshua. But in their day, Jesus was an average, everyday name that people just used. It was so common, so popular. There were hundreds of people named Jesus. And the Bible says about Matthew 121, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. For why? For he will save his people from his sins. Now, here's the thing I want you to see about Jesus and about you and your name as well. You may be from a small town. Maybe you have parents who say, well, man, I'm not from a, I don't know how to reach people. I, I grew up in a home of whatever. And maybe your name, you think, well, my name doesn't mean anything. Listen, Jesus' name didn't mean anything either. When he started out, his name didn't mean squat. I'm not putting him down. You understand that. His name meant nothing. I'm really going to make sure I drive the thing home. His name meant nothing. But he turned all that around. Let me tell you something right now about your name. Your name does not define you. You define your name. Your name may have been given to you, and you may think, well, I wish I had a different name. I was telling Haley, years ago we was talking about this. I didn't like my last name for years. You know why? Because I didn't like what it was associated with. If you talk to half of my family in Paulding County, half of them are in law enforcement, okay? On that side, their last name was Shellhorse, okay? That's all the officers. They ran, they were, you know what I'm saying? They worked in law enforcement. My uncle was a, one of the you know, leaders there or whatever. He was a great, great guy, um, super guy. He was the guy in the patrol car driving it. <laughs> my dad's side, my last name, they were the ones in the back seat. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it was a weird thing at family get-togethers. You got to understand what I'm saying. Bart, my, my uncle, he'd be there. He's a big guy. Like, I mean, you know, just a big old boy. And so here's him, you know, every, when I go up every so often for Christmas or whatever else, it was the strangest thing. You know, here's, the, here's law enforcement on one side. Here's my dad over here and some other family members on that side. It was the weirdest thing. Everybody worked it out, but, I mean, there's no doubt. He's driving, you know, it's just weird. So for the longest, I thought, man, I wish I had a cool last name like, I don't know, Cruz, man. That sounds great, like Tom Cruz. That sounds awesome. And my wife was saying to me, she said, what if we made our name great? What if you just changed everything instead of it being associated with what it's associated with in Paulding County? What if we made our name a name that was associated with other things? That's what she said. And I thought, you know, that's... That's, that's really wise because she's like that, just really wise like that, you know? But maybe you're here today and that's what you're thinking about. This Christmas is, well, man, my name doesn't mean. What if you made your name mean something different than what it's meant before? So, Jody, what does it have to do with inviting somebody to Jesus to Christmas, to, to reach him for Jesus? What does it have to do with this or ornament or anything else? It's because I want you to think about how you think about your town, about your family, and about your name. We think that Jesus just arrived one day on the planet and everything went his way. It didn't. They talked about him. They ridiculed his family. Can you imagine hearing somebody talk about your mama like they would have and then 
having to be the son of God. Now here, now listen, you ain't the son of God. Some like you know, don't mess with mama. That's that's fight right there. Jesus couldn't do that. He's the son of God. He's got to stay without sin. Hearing people trash talking your mom every day at school. You just have to put up with it. People ridiculing you because of what your background is. You're talking about you're going to be a preacher, and you're like, oh, you build houses. You can't preach anything. You're supposed to be over there. They ridiculed him every day, and his name was Average. But do you know since the crucifixion, do you realize that the name of Jesus now is still one of the most popular names? It probably is the most popular name registered, but also that very few people name their kids Jesus now because it's out of reverence. Now, in some of the cultures they do, like Hispanic cultures, this is very common. Jesus is very common because it's a different, different background, those kind of things. But most, that name's reverence now. It wasn't reverence in his day. So what does it have to do with everything we're talking about? Why don't you think about this? God sent Jesus to Nazareth, the smallest town, with the most uncommon parents, no priesthood, and they gave him the most daily used name in the region. And told him to turn that whole thing around and become the Christ child. Listen to what Romans says about him. <clears throat> Romans 8.3 says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Okay, the law was a standard. But the law couldn't convert. It could only predict or show. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. Hear what he's saying. He sent his own son in the body like what we have. One translation says in sinful flesh like we have. Now, Jesus was without sin, but he still took upon this, t- this body. And the scriptures say, <clears throat> and in that body God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was the son sent from God, but he was separated from God, his father. And you and I, we were separated from God, but listen to this. And John 1 verse 9 says, the one who is the true light, the one who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created. But watch this. The world did not recognize him because he was from Nazareth. He came to his own people and they rejected him because why? He was in the family of a tecton, a builder. And then it goes on to say this, it says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And they are reborn, not from a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Born again believers. And just like Jesus, listen, we are born very common individuals. But God has given each one of us an uncommon plan. He has declared that every one of us in this room have the ability to help him fulfill his plan. It is a mission that he's given us called the Great Commission, but it is a mission nonetheless, and it's called Co because it's a partnership between us and God. God's not sending any more babies in Nazareth to resurrect the world, you know. He's resurrecting people in seats in churches all over the world, and he's saying, I want you to be the one that brings my gospel to other people. That's what he's saying. And so when you look back on where you're from, just like Jesus, maybe you're from some small town, 
Maybe you say Rome is a small town. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't. It doesn't really matter. But if you say Rome compared to it like Atlanta, we're a couple of million shy. <laughs> it's a small town. You may think, well, there's nothing good that comes out of my town. How can I do something for God? That's what they said about Jesus. But look what Jesus did. You say, well, that was Jesus. Yeah, but look what his disciples did. You can take one ornament and you can pray over it and you can ask the Holy Spirit to show you some person who needs to hear the gospel. Just one. Just one. And just like my daughter who drew me this like elaborate drawing about pineapples, bananas, and and I'm associating it with Coronas because that's my thought process. I need her to help clear it up so that I can understand her thought process. And so many times I think we think God's thought process is, well, man, I've got to get a megaphone and I've got to go out there on the side of the street somewhere with a bunch of bundles of tracks and I've got to preach and look like a crazy man or woman. And that's what I'm supposed to do. That's not what God called you. Nowhere in the scripture does it say, go ye in all the world and grab a megaphone and a box of books and go and... It doesn't say that. Nowhere. Jesus used relationships more than anything else. He built it with his disciples. His disciples built it with 70 others. And they went out into the world with the gospel. It's relationship. But if you have a belief that says, well, I'm from a small town. You don't know my family background, and you don't know my name, so therefore I don't qualify. You have the wrong thought process this morning. And God would like to change your thought process. And one of my most favorite scriptures in the world I'm going to read to you, and I'm going to close up with this, is in Jeremiah 29, 11, The Bible says this, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. For they are plans for good <clears throat> and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope, and in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. God is not asking for us to figure out everything. He's just asking us to think like he thinks. That he wants to utilize each one of us in this room this Christmas to maybe bring down some stress in your family and simply take advantage of the season to possibly reach somebody for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to challenge you with as our worship team comes up. I wonder if you think about this for a moment. If you got everything on your Christmas list, if you got every present you always wanted, like, oh man, I got some stuff I could put down on my Christmas list. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got some stuff to be cool to have. If I got everything on my list... You know what happens at the end of the Christmas season? You know, you clean up a bunch of boxes. You clean up a bunch of stuff. You're doing all kinds of things to take and, you know, uh, clean up afterwards. There's boxes everywhere you're done. You're so stressed, so tired, like, oh. And what do you say? Man, I'm glad it's over. Instead of that feeling, wouldn't it be great is at the end of Christmas this year, you had one person that sat beside you in church and they either came to Christ or they came back to Christ but they yielded their hearts to Jesus instead of saying oh man I'm glad it's over you would be beaming you would be so excited 
to see someone's life turn to Christ because of you're simply just inviting them or reaching out to them. And that's all I'm asking for this Christmas. I'm not asking you to be a preacher. I'm not asking you to be an evangelist. I'm not asking you to go into all the cities and streets with your megaphones. I'm not asking you to do any of that. I'm just asking you to simply take one ornament this morning, pray over it, and you don't have to give it away this week. But pray about it. And when God says that person, it's, a, it's just a conversation starter. When they say, what's this for? You say, well, and you open it up. You don't preach at them. You don't tell them they're going to hell. We all knew we were going to hell before we ever got saved. You know, you don't need anybody telling you that. I know where I was going. Believe me. It's just a conversation, and it opens up the door. And you may be nervous as I'll get out. You might hands might be sweating. You might feel like I'm going to throw up, man. Go throw up when it's over. Just step out and just reach. That person, you have no idea how many people have told me this when I've done this. They were actually praying and asking God, help me, God. And then I've actually called them or talked to them, and it was the right time and the right moment. I ask you to go after hundreds asking for the one. You say, well, I don't qualify. I'm not perfect. Hey, I'm not either. My kid, look, I thought my kid was looking at Coronas. Shows you what I was thinking. None of us are perfect. But I'm glad God doesn't look for perfection to help him accomplish his plan. All of us would be out of, you know, none of us could qualify for that. So I'm going to pray for you right now. And it's specifically if you're here. And you've got this over your head, over maybe it's you're from this town or your name or your family, and you feel like you don't measure up these areas. I'm going to ask God to take that off of you today. You don't need to live under that bondage. So why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. <laughs> Dear Jesus, we come before you today, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. Dear Lord, I come before you right now. First of all, God, we just <clears throat> yield to you right now, anything that is not blessing to you. If there's somebody here today that they are from a town and they feel like someone's always spoken evil of or spoken down about or or, or just spoken bad about their town and said, oh, you're from that town, nothing good could come from there. I just pray in the name of Jesus today, Lord, you help take that off of their life. God, remove that in the name of Jesus. God, release that from their life in the name of Jesus today. And if there's somebody here, Lord, that maybe they grew up and and their home wasn't exactly the way they thought it should be, or maybe they got picked on for their family, or maybe they have something over them about their their family home that maybe was a great home, maybe it wasn't, I don't know, but there's something there that they just can't seem to get out from under. I pray in the name of Jesus today. God, you would remind them of who their family is today, that they're a part of your family. And, Lord, you are the one that calls them your your son or your daughter today. In Jesus' name, I pray you'd help them just remove that overshadowing. Remove those words that were spoken. God, release them from that this year. In the name of Jesus. And, Lord, I pray right now if there's anybody here that struggles with their name, God. Maybe in school when kids made fun of their name. Maybe people poked jokes or maybe they just said things that were just cruel or Maybe they've grown up here and their name was not good because of what it was associated with. In the name of Jesus, I just speak life over them. And I ask you to just, <clears throat> just cause a new 
revelation from the day about their name, God. They can make it in anything as long as they follow you. I pray you remove any bad stigma, any bad thing that's off of, on their name that shouldn't be there. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to just take that away for this Christmas season. Lord, they'd never have that on them again. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, they would lean back on your name, Lord. And I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you today. I pray that they would come to you today. They would receive you as their Savior. We'll pray a prayer right now with your eyes closed and no one's looking around. The whole church is going to pray. We pray this prayer at the end of every service. So if you're here and you say, Pastor Jody, I'm not sure I'm a Christian, we're going to pray this prayer right now. And you can give your heart to Jesus right now. So just pray this prayer out loud. Say, Dear Jesus, I come before you and I give you my life. I surrender everything to you. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to redeem me, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness today. I ask you to seal me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I make you my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.